Well, welcome to Laid Back Lush. My name is Michael Moore, and this is... I am Gabe. Uh, in our last episode, we were talking about how to select a wine, uh, just some basic instructions or basic guidelines, I should say, about how to really go in and, and find something that you like. And today we're going to be talking about how to map out the flavor, how to taste it. We hope our suggestions helped you over whatever the time between you listening to this and the last episode was. Yeah. Pick out a good bottle of wine. And hopefully uh, you got a chance to pick out something that you really were interested in. Um, maybe you even had a chance to maybe do some research and consult Google, the all-powerful. And uh, so today we have a couple of different wines that we are going to do. Both of them are within the kind of $15 range. Uh, anytime that you do a tasting, you typically want to start with your lighter wines and then move on to your uh, darker wines, your heavier wines, and eventually your sweeter wines. Have you heard the uh, the switch theory on that one? Oh, no. Tell me things. So uh, it, this one, I, I don't know if it's looked at favorably or, or what, but there are some people that claim that having your white wine after your red wine is actually better because since light white wines tend to be lighter in their characteristics and their body as well that having kind of the shock of starting with a red wine can then um make your perception of the white wine a little bit better because oh, because you're going from more intense to less intense um so that, that could be a fun so it's kind of like jumping into the pool yeah and then and then swimming around a bit yeah I, I, hey that could be a fun thing to try in a future be. episode or yeah. even in someone listening have that a would, have a be fun a good little experiment actually yeah Let's a fun experiment to try at home switch theory we're gonna write that down that might turn into an episode which would be fun for us because yes. we get to drink wine while we're doing it <laughs> perks of the job right now this is definitely our full-time job right now <laughs> yeah no this is this is what we're doing <laughs> so we're we're starting off today with the prophecy wine it's a it's a sauvignon blanc from marlboro uh, a lot of wines have been coming out of new zealand particularly the most popular being uh, sauvignon blanc uh, they have a specific type of harvesting uh, technique it's uh, typically going to be machine harvested which allows for the uh, grape skins to already actually be a little shorn, a little cut. Um, and that's going to give it a more pronounced grassy flavor. Typically going to be higher in acidity. Really good with uh, with your fish and, and other things that you might pair. But let's go ahead and pour this. And uh, I think it's also worth noting that um, anyone listening might be accustomed to Loire Valley style or Old World style Sauvignon Blanc in general. New Zealand tends to be less of that um, citrusy, really kind of bracing profile. New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc tends to be uh, more expressive and more pronounced herbaceous notes in particular tend to come mm. out with New Zealand wines. So just a little, if you enjoy one or the other more, something to keep in mind and look for in the yeah. store when you're out buying, if you're buying Sauvignon. And, and a lot of people do find that they have a, a preference uh, between the two of those. So if you find yourself really enjoying one or you're like, ah, I can't stand this, try the other. See if it's something that you like. And some people just don't like Sauvignon Blanc because they say it smells like cat pee. That unfortunately is kind of the um, the term a lot of people <laughs> have, yeah. have agreed upon to describe certain aromas that 
can, not all Sauvignon Blancs have it. I've tried some that kind of just smelled like passion fruit and melons. Yeah. Uh, and maybe a little bit of grass, but that, that cat pee can turn some people off and it is a pretty dominant in a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> so if you want to prime yourself, go out and eat a passion fruit first. Get yourself some citrus <laughs> fruits because if you're around a bunch of cats, then more than likely you're going to, you're going to taste what you, uh, what you've been around. Yeah. That's, that's one little rule of wine tasting. You taste what you've been exposed to. So let's give this a try. So where do you start off with tasting? Uh, so typically, um, when I was doing classes, we would always instruct people to look at the color first. So what we have here actually is we have a, a white piece of paper that's down on the ground and we can just kind of, you know, swirl the wine in front of that, see what sort of tint that you're, you're seeing in this. I'm actually not noticing a lot of color here. Yeah, I was going to say this is almost water white for me, but um, it, it's it's lemony. It, yeah. it, has, it has some color in it, but it's very, it's very pale. And it's dull. Yeah. It's a kind of a dull color. If I were picking this off of a shelf, I would not be picking it off because it presents well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clear, you know, yeah. and there isn't any. Um, one thing about looking at a wine is a wine, uh, certain, if a wine is brown, for example, some wines are brown, like sherry is brown. Some sherries are brown intentionally, but, you know, that could also tell you that your wine is expired or, or things like that. You know, um, there are certain faults or if, you know, a wine is cloudy, some wines are cloudy again on purpose. They can just tell you about what to expect. And you do have that one instance where uh, you can actually have a wine that is so flawless. It has been so meticulously done that it actually browns for a very short period of time before coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that was actually featured in the movie Bottle Shock. If you guys have never watched that, very much so worth it, especially if you like Alan Rickman. Indeed, even though he's only in there for like ten minutes. Well, it was a good ten minutes. It was a great ten minutes. <laughs> ten minutes of Alan Rickman is always worth it. Okay, so moving on from appearance, uh, I think for a lot of novice drinkers, I know I when I started drinking would question why people are so. Uh, intent on smelling their wine for five minutes before it ever goes into their mouth and uh now that i have been trained how to taste wine in a more professional context it i understand and i am now the person that will smell their wine for five minutes before yeah. it goes into my mouth so the reason for that is your sense of smell and your sense of taste are very tightly woven together and what you smell in general is going to be what you taste in a wine, um, you know, there can be some discrepancies in terms of the intensity of flavors on the palate versus the nose. And there can also be um, a lot of particularly aged wines, wines that are starting to show maybe some like tobacco or earth characteristics. Sometimes that can be more dominant on the nose, whether it's fresher on the palate with the fruit flavors or vice versa. So sometimes those things can can kind of flip uh, a little bit. But in general, if you smell something you're tasting it yeah in the wine as well uh one thing um that you'll see people doing when they're about to smell it is that they swirl the wine in their Mm. glass this allows for more surface area for the wine and it also uh, allows a lot of those molecules to to just kind of rise up and fill up the well of your glass some people even go as far as to try and get it as close to the rim as possible. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, stick their nose in there as deep as they can. It's not particularly necessary, but I, I actually encourage different smelling speeds as it were. So, you know, you don't have to do a quick 
you can actually just yeah really breathe it in it's not like with spirits where you have to unless you're smelling like a port or something or a fortified wine uh you don't have to worry about anesthetizing your nose as much so you you know you don't have to take the short sniffs that say like a whiskey tasting would yeah where it's like you're saving yourself yes you will stop smelling if you smell too long (laughs) on bourbon or whiskey or yeah vodka it'll smell like burning yes but in this case you can just you can actually take your time with some wine you can you can really immerse yourself in that aroma so what do you pick up on this guy i mean it's passion fruit like right off the bat that's that's most of what i'm getting i'm not getting a super ton of grassiness on it yeah it's um it's funny that i was just talking about how you know the lack of the cat pee can kind of be in the minority i think on a lot of sauvignon blanc but i would say this one it it's there yeah but it's it's not um it's not as pungent as i'm used to with a lot of sauvignon blanc it's a bit more on the herbaceous side Mm -hmm. and it's it's a fairly light aroma yeah, I'm it, not being it's, overpowered. It's, it's grassy, you know. It, yeah, it's, it, it has that kind of cut grass feel to it, but uh, it, it's kind of soft, and it's not as um, it's not as harsh as I'm. Yeah, like a little uh, bit of thyme maybe in the back, mm-hmm. and that's about that's about it. It's a very gentle wine. This seems to be. It definitely has some really nice uh, grapefruit and lemon aromas as well. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I could definitely get some of that grapefruit going on in there. Kind of like a nice ruby red grapefruit at that, very like juicy. So, and that's one thing that you'll you'll just start noticing with uh, wine. As soon as you smell it, more than likely your first instinct on what you're smelling it's it's what you're smelling. Yeah. Um. So if you just automatically are like, whoa, that's you know that's passion fruit, that's this. Write it down if you enjoy it. And also, um, you know, we we're two people that are used to tasting wine, so we have a lot of these scent maps kind of already done in our heads so it's easier when you have a fair amount of experience to pull flavors out like lemon raspberry um, chocolate oak influence which we'll talk about in a second for newer drinkers if you're a newer drinker listening to this and going i would never pick out half the things that you're saying right now don't be too hard on yourself because everybody has to start somewhere i know when i first started it was like this smells like um citrus fruits and um that's about it (laughs) and that's valid but one of the best things you can do is just to smell a lot of wine really and this is something that we'll we'll talk about kind of towards the end of the episode is how you can build up that aroma profile because it it is an important thing to build up if you're uh, trying to get into build up yeah your your mind map of smells the main thing is just anytime that you notice something ask the next question Mm mm-hmm it's just, you know, this smells like a citrus root. Well, what type? And along with what you're smelling, also the intensity of what you're smelling is an important thing. Yeah. So uh, something interesting about this wine that I kind of picked up immediately is this is actually a little bit less pronounced than I'm used to a lot of Sauvignon yeah. Blanc being. It, it more, it's kind of along the same strength as maybe like a Kim Crawford. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's definitely not as pungent as some that I'm used to. And this wine doesn't smell bad, so don't take no. what I'm saying as as a fault per se. Kind um, of soft and sweet. Smelling. Yeah, but I'm just I'm used to Sauvignon Blanc having a more pronounced expression and being a little bit more expressive on the nose. Maybe but, even a bit more aggressive, I would say. Yeah, um, this is pretty soft, like you just said. Soft is actually a really good word. 
I think, to describe this. The softest Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> That's what they should have put on the label. They should have. It's, it's called Prophecy. It should have been called Cloud or something. All right. So, you know, we've talked a bit about the nose. So and next let's, thing. Let's try yeah. it. Let's actually put this wine in your mouth. That's actually a lot more than I was expecting. So what I was just talking about were sometimes the intensity on the nose. And the intensity on the palate will not match. This is actually a really good example of that, which I'm fairly surprised at because A, like we were just talking about, Sauvignon Blanc tends to be a lot more expressive on the nose. But B, um, this wine is not very cold. We did chill it. Um, So fun fact, chilling your wine, the colder it is, the harder it's going to be for that wine to really open up aromatically. You still want to serve your whites in general colder than your reds um and you you doesn't need to be like freezing no um and that's a common mistake people make yeah you know uh anywhere from i would say i'm trying to remember exactly what the numbers were that i had to study i would say like 45 degrees for like yeah. very um kind of light white wines and mm-hmm. the more fuller the wine is in terms of its aroma profile the warmer you can serve yeah. it maybe up to like 55 60 if you're really pushing like heavily oak chardonnay or something yeah yeah and actually most people also drink their reds too warm mm-hmm. um chill your red down to about 60 to 65 that's actually what room temperature quote unquote would have been back in the day when room temperature was the proper yeah uh, temperature to serve your wine well, not and also 72. when you have classes that are going on in france you know yeah kind of like normandy is a little bit different than you know exactly yeah well you know if your wine just came out of a basement cellar it's probably not going to be 72.8 or whatever (laughs) well we would hope not (laughs) yeah unless there's something very wrong with your cellar yeah if if your cellar is uh is upwards of 75 fire whoever it is that that did that (laughs) for sure for sure but so you know this wine is not super chilled not to the degree that you know you would do with a less expressive wine so that isn't really affecting the nose in terms of muting the profile. So it, it, it's very interesting because uh, even the the cat pee is on the palate. Uh, boxwood or gooseberry are kind of two notes yeah. that people will say to not say cat pee. So in order to not have to say cat pee over and over again. Yeah. Cat so pee, cat pee, cat pee. If, if, yeah, if, you, <laughs> if you don't want to keep saying cat pee, use, use boxwood or, or gooseberry. Yeah. If you're inviting your friends over for this, please don't call it cat pee. <laughs> that's, that's a quick way to, well, some of your friends might actually say yes. The more adventurous ones. Yeah. Keep, keep those friends. Yeah. But, uh, so as far as, as this goes though, I'm getting a lot more out of this than I was expecting that I would have. Yeah. It's, uh, the Probably. sweetness is pretty low, but it's there. I, was, uh, I I think you're kind of confusing a little bit of the fruit for sugar. Mm, no, I am because um, it's it's very tart. It's very tart, acidic, um, and it, there there might be a few grams per liter in this wine, yeah. but for me, it's pretty solidly in the dry. Yeah, that, yeah, like super super like subtle dry. That's the words. <laughs> that, those are the words that we use that super wine. subtle sweetness where you can barely detect that it's there yeah that's the one it's dry <laughs> oh dear i remember i, I once bought uh, a bottle of wine for for actually a, a holocaust survivor and uh, i did not realize that they didn't like dry wine oh no because they were 
Manischewitz drinkers. And mm-hmm. so the, the first comment was, oh, it's a dry wine. <laughs> no, no. I was just like, oh, I am become error. No. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's a, it's a dry wine. Um, I'm getting a ton of acidity on it. It's big, bright acidity. It's very bright. It's, uh, this wine is just full of surprises for me. Yeah. It's not as high as others that I've had, though. Yeah. It's not quite hitting me um, up in the corners of my mouth like certain the Sauvignon. The Perker power. Yeah, not like a Chablis even, which is a Chardonnay, not Sauvignon Blanc. But uh, that will have that effect. So it's not quite that racy, but it, it you're right. Bright is a very good way to describe it. Yeah. Oh, that's pleasant, though. I, I enjoy this. It's very refreshing. I kind of do wish it were maybe a little bit higher because the uh, moving on to texture of the wine, the wine, it, it feels a little bit heavy on the palate and it, not necessarily in the way of it being full body, more kind of like it's almost a little bit uh, flabby, I would say. Mm, you might be detecting more than I am then, although that could just be because we don't have a particularly cold. That could be it. Yeah, the the chilling is going to affect the mouthfeel. Yeah, well, so will acid, because acid will, like Sauterne, which is a dessert wine from Bordeaux, mm. those wines are actually super high acid wines, but you wouldn't know it tasting it, because if it didn't have that acid, because acid is what makes your mouth water mm. and what makes a wine refreshing, it would taste like, it would have the texture of syrup. Yeah. And... I don't know anybody who just sits around drinking syrup for fun all day. Don't invite those friends. Don't invite those friends. Um, <laughs> they they might ruin the party. Mm. But the uh, something about this wine, and it's not, again, it, this is probably something that a lot of people would say is nitpicking at this point. And it could also be that I am, I'm, I'm thinking about other Sauvignon Blancs that are that really intense kind of almost biting acidity oh yeah and i'm thinking i want that in this wine like if i were to have the uh, kia aura right now i would say that that would probably be more in line with with that kind of need for the biting grassiness the biting citrus you're talking about uh not only you know passion fruit grapefruit that grapefruit flavor really attacks you in that wine. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this one, I'm, I'm getting a lot more of that softness. I could even say that there's a little bit of a melon to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of just, you know, rounding out that flavor. This is, I would not describe this as your aggressive Sauvignon Blanc. No, this is uh this is a very approachable very Sauvignon approachable. Blanc, I think. Uh, if, if the way we've described Sauvignon Blanc as a grape has sounded intimidating, this might actually be a good one to get into that. Yeah, because it'll give you a more toned down version of the intensity. Yeah, uh, that can be in the Sauvignon Blanc grape as a whole. Sometimes, and I and I think that this is something that happens with a lot of experienced wine drinkers is as we get more and more into it, we keep on wanting for our wine to ravish us a bit. So mm-hmm. so we get more and more attracted to intense flavors. You may find yourself doing that. Um, but as far as approachability, I, I think that this is a solid wine for, for people to start out with with Sauvignon Blanc. So something I want to hit on briefly, because uh, this is, in my opinion, one of the more difficult things to pin down and maybe not something to worry about as much if you're just kind of casually drinking, is uh, 
texture and body mm. in a wine. So again, it, I know I already said it, but to me, this wine has a very um, kind of almost a gliceriny texture mm. to it, uh, which I, I'm still trying to decide if I like or not for, it for kind this of particular like wine. Complements the softness in one way, but mm-hmm. if you if you know about that being added in or or how that can affect other parts of the flavor, it kind of can it can mute them a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's making the fruit taste a little um or it's making my mouth perceive the fruit a little bit more uh heavy is kind of the only word i can think of Mm, that weight might be why i was i was reading a little bit more sweetness than than i should have actually earlier yeah um i actually you know i'll take back heavy It, it almost mutes the fruit I think a little bit in a weird way because I'm I'm expecting kind of the, uh, a bright poppy fruit taste where this is the texture of it is kind of leading me more into like maybe fruit juice instead yeah. of the fruit itself if that makes any sense to <laughs> yeah no where you're getting kind of like that that pureed melon yeah and, and this is probably sounding like super niche. <laughs> stuff. Very but, it, but but it, but it's it's the kind of stuff that i find interesting when tasting wine with people is kind of discovering those little differences and how we all perceive wine and i think that's probably the most fun aspect of tasting wine oh, honestly, yeah. with other people but so you know that that's how i would describe the texture as this wine is is almost kind of a glycerol e the body of the wine though i would say is kind of in the medium camp uh, i wouldn't really call this a full bodied wine so Obviously, body and texture are, are uh, similar hmm. and very closely linked together. Uh, but body is more of the weight of the wine itself on your palate over how it feels in your mouth. Yeah. Some people uh, would describe it as kind of the difference is between uh, types of milk. Mm-hmm. So you can have skim milk, which rests really light on your tongue. As opposed to 2%, which is a little heavier, as opposed to whole milk, which is very heavy. And those are kind of like your difference between your, your light, your medium, and your full body. That's a very basic thing, and, and anybody with any level of training would probably kind of frown on that description. But that was the easiest way for me to describe it to, to yeah. customers at the very least. That's how my teacher taught it for WSET. Yeah. So I mean, go, go buy some milk if you need to train your palate. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, don't don't let anybody look down on you for buying three different types of fat content milk. What if you're lactose intolerant? Well, then you're just like me. <laughs> Get some lactate pills. Sponsor us. <laughs> I, I, if you... Uh... If you are, you know, lactose intolerant or for some reason can't or won't drink milk, uh, mm-hmm. best advice I can give is just to kind of try a wine that you know, maybe from research or from a recommendation on someone is like a light body wine, see how mm-hmm. that feels, and then compare it next to a medium or a full bodied wine. Just yeah. to kind of, as with your nose, just kind of start accustoming or acquainting yourself with how things taste yeah. and how things feel in your mouth compared to other wines yeah whereas like if you get um if you get a, a sauvignon blanc also go over and get yourself like a nice uh, uh oak chardonnay you know and because typically chardonnay is going to be a bit fuller bodied than than your other stuff especially um, if it's been oaked especially if it's been oaked and especially if it's from california yeah 
California wines, they love to be big, bombastic, and buttery. Yeah. So you'll you'll get those notes, and you can kind of tell the weight between the two of them. It's kind of a fun way to just be like, oh, so now I know what light body is, now I know what heavy body is, and I also have something I can eat with lobster. And it, it's not something that you learn overnight. Like, I still sometimes, I would say per, perceiving bodies, I think, my weakest mm. um, tasting criteria so far. So a couple of things that we do just while we're tasting is we'll um, we'll kind of chew on the wine. That's a, a kind of good way to feel whether or not it has astringency to it. Uh, you can kind of feel the different ways that the acidity is going to hit you. Another thing people will do is slurp it. When you slurp it, you're agitating all those molecules. You're going to be able to get a little bit more of the aroma out of it. it kind of intensifies the flavor for you. Also, when you uh, try wine, try and get into the habit of paying attention when you breathe out after you mm-hmm. swallow a wine, how you smell it then. It's called retronasal whatever term comes after that uh perception i guess where when you breathe out those aroma chemicals go into the back of your nose and you know there are receptors back there as well so yeah. you, you might pick up more nuance to the wine it's not normally going to completely it, it for me it's never so i doubt it ever will change your entire perception of how a wine tastes but you, you probably can pick up a little more like i know for me i tend to notice more earthy tones in the back of my nose versus on the front of my nose. Uh, so that's a way that I can know if something has, you know, say been treated with oak or it has bottle age or, or things like that. Yeah. And these, these are things that you notice, but one thing is a lot of different types of cocktails, a lot of different types of spirits, a lot of different types of wines. They'll actually have a different flavor starting out than they will in the middle of tasting them. And then Lastly, they'll actually develop even when you're finishing it. So that is actually part of the flavor profiles that you can get as it's finishing. You'll be presented with something different. Um, and a higher quality wine, especially if we were starting to get into into like Bordeaux or anything like that, that's actually what you're looking for. You're looking for how the flavor transitions from one thing to the next throughout the experience. So I, I would say the, the next thing, unless we have any other notes, would be just on the finish. I'm sitting here staring off into space right now, kind of feeling that out. I'm going to time it. Let's, I, see, uh, let's see what we got. So there there are a, a couple of different schools of thought on finish. I know for me, I'm less of a time person. Uh, the more what I was trained on for perceiving finish in a wine is does the positive flavors, and by positive I mean the flavors that you want to taste in the wine, do those persist past the structural elements of the wine? Mm. So uh, Bordeaux would actually be a really good example because Bordeaux tend to be pretty heavy tannin, depending on which bank you're at, high acid, very structured wines. And when you're doing the finish on a wine, for me, I pay more attention to, so does this fruit, character or this oak character persist past when those tannins are kind of finished you know gripping to my teeth and after the acid has stopped making my mouth water Mm -hmm. um and that that's how i prefer to do it but like you just did some people definitely prefer to do the time time. out and 
And I do like that though, because there's a bit more nuance, like even just now. So I was able to taste most of these flavors for about 26 seconds. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a decent finish. Yeah, it's the nice medium length. But asking myself those questions, I'm like, okay, so how quickly did that acidity start declining? It, mm-hmm. it actually declined pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You had that really kind of powerful perker. And all of that salivation was going on. And then right around the 10, 10 second mark, boom, it's gone. Yeah. And then as it keeps going, I'm still, I'm, I'm still getting the grapefruit. I'm still getting the passion fruit. Still kind of a lingering grassiness. And then right around 26 seconds, it's kind of gone. Yeah. I would also, um, so kind of going back to the positive versus maybe what you don't want to be tasting kind of thing. So I would actually knock the finish on this wine because while the acidity does kind of, go fairly quickly for me the the prettier aspects of the fruit go pretty quickly as well mm-hmm. and it like right now it's I, straight acid it, it's it's that uh yeah that citrus peel like pith actually mm-hmm. like that flavor where it's just that kind of just bitterness is what's re- lingering like i can still taste it i'm also fairly sensitive to bitterness so there's that mm-hmm. but um it's sitting on the back of my tongue right now and i'm kind of like wishing it would be, Go away. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, no. well, because I, I wish it was that passion fruit, and I wish it was that grapefruit juice, not the grapefruit yeah. pith. You know. Um. So I, I would say, you know, this wine has like a solid medium length finish, not the longest I've ever had by any means. But it's also, I, you know, I've had like Pinot Grigio. I think is a good example for most people of what would be a short finish, where you drink it, it's there, and then it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> Catch and release on yeah. that one. Yeah, I don't. I don't hate the finish on this. No, it, um, it's not bad. And again, this is a very like nitpicky thing that I'm pointing out, but it is that bitterness yeah. is what really persists for me. Yeah, the bitterness isn't. I'm not. I'm not getting the bitterness as strongly as you. More than likely, I can kind of taste it in the back of my in the back of my tongue. It's just kind of like it. It's almost a flat. Almost. I want to say like it's a dirty bitterness. Almost. Yeah. At the same time, I, I would be okay with this as an aperitif if I if I were. Yeah, I mean, so if I were to be, you know, trying to officially call what this wine's quality is, like I would say this is a good wine. Like, I, I and it's decent value too. Yeah, especially for a fifteen dollar bottle of Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc, I really can't say that I truly like have any gripes about it. No, I'll say that. It's enjoyable. It's, You're right. And I would serve this to friends. Yeah. And, and paired, I think this would, would be, um, a pretty good wine for f- a lot of, you know, lighter seafood. Yeah. Chicken. I could see this with, uh, with some tilapia. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, I, I, I wouldn't put this with flounder. Flounder is going to be a bit more meaty. You're going to want something more aggressive. I think if you were using, um, citrus in the dish with flounder, it mm. could work. It could um, because you could kind of match the acidity with it. I, would, I, I think I would still want something a bit more aggressive because this is still that kind of like soft mm-hmm. fruit. Yeah. Well, that's kind of why I was thinking more um, chicken yeah. dishes. Yeah. Because uh, chicken tends to be a little more rounded. Ooh, I could see this going really well with Alfre- uh, any sort of Alfredo dish. Yeah. Um, it, it grilled chicken. Yeah. Uh, just kind of on its own, I think would actually be very nice with this. I've already eaten. You can't do this to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is a solid valued wine. Oh, and something we forgot. 
uh, alcohol. Oh yeah. In a wine. A lot of us drink wine because it's alcoholic, or at least we start out drinking wine because it's alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us continue in that. <laughs> and some, some of us, uh, well, continue with that. And then we wrap it up in talking about how wonderful it tastes and smells. But the perception of alcohol in a wine is pretty important because it can show you a lot about how the grape was grown or where it was grown, in particular where it was grown. The warmer climate is in general, the more ripe a grape is going to get by the time it reaches harvest. And that means there's going to be more sugar in those grapes. And therefore there is going to be more of that sugar converted by the yeast during fermentation into alcohol. Now, alcohol as a structural component in a wine is very important because it's a very big determining factor in the body of a wine. So when people talk about legs of a wine, there, there's a lot of wives tales about legs in wine, you know, um, particularly around legs being a quality indicator. They really aren't. Uh, what legs tell you about a wine is the viscosity of the wine. And that is what alcohol gives to a wine from a structural component. If you have a high alcohol wine, you are, I don't want to say guaranteed, but you, you are very likely going to have a full body wine. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of how that level of alcohol tends to work and high alcohol, at least from my training's perspective is 14% and over. Um, and medium tends to be in the 11 to 13 and a half percent range. Some wines will also show their alcohol more than others. And what I mean by that is I've had high alcohol wines, but the alcohol wasn't readily apparent when I swallowed. Like I didn't really feel it just because either they had really nice fruit concentration or there were other things balancing it out like sweetness, um, dessert wines, like port, you know, those are fortified wines and yeah. you, you, you can still feel the alcohol on port for sure. Cause they can, they start around 17%. Yeah. You know what you're drinking. Um, but that perception of the burning sensation of alcohol, if it's a really nicely made wine can be lessened a little bit mm-hmm. just by, again, mainly concentration of your fruit and also your sh- um, sugar content is going to help with that a little bit. Um, Which is why people put so much sugar into into liquor drinks. It's mm-hmm. it's actually a, a disguising thing. You're you're trying to to not have to taste the burning that that allows you to get to the the point that a lot of people are trying to get to. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, and, and some wines will also feel hot in your mouth, mm-hmm. uh, even at less than high alcohol. Um, when you start getting into the thirteen and over range, there depending on the wine. It can still feel hot mm-hmm. uh, because of that alcohol. So what, that, what have been some uh, wines that you've had that have, have kind of like given you that feel? Because I I know I've gotten it from from some wines that were they were they were fairly high in alcohol content, but they they didn't they didn't feel like they had the fullest body. Mm-hmm. And I think that was because of the fact that the concentration of flavors, the fruit balancing was was off, and so. It was, it was actually, what was it? It was a, it was a Cabernet Sauvignon that I got. It was, um, it was out of California. Uh, I can't quite remember 
uh, which one it was, but I remember specifically thinking that where it was just like, I'm actually getting a lot of heat off of this, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm actually not being approached by a ton of fruit. Uh, that, that to me does sound like maybe there is a, an issue with either the winemaking or the grapes yeah. or, or something where the character of the wine didn't justify the heat of the wine Mm -hmm. uh i know i'm not super accustomed to the laws i know out of europe sometimes wine can kind of fluctuate from what's actually on the bottle by like about a percent Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's the case with california if that was that could also be a possibility where it's actually you know maybe upwards of like 15 percent it's it's a bit more more um regulated in california uh than it is in in certain other places but you are gonna have some serious discrepancies there not nearly as much as like the craft beer industry where they like yeah, yeah this is around maybe like 10 percent. it's like this is clearly 15 percent or more yeah, a lot of your bourbon barrel age stuff is gonna end up being in that that range and it won't be on the bottle but it, it's what it is so th- those would be my two guesses because without trying the wine myself, I couldn't really give you a, a super solid oh, yeah. answer. This but... was about three years ago. Yeah, th- so. that's my theory, though. I- and I would lean toward it was probably just the wine wasn't made in a way that kept the alcohol content in mind the way it should have. Yeah. And it could have. Yeah. And I think it was actually a Virginia wine. It was a Virginia. It was Virginia Cabernet Sauvignon. I won't mention which one it was specifically because more than likely they've improved their methods since then. So I, uh, I'm going to go on a little soapbox rant. Oh, here we go. A second. Alrighty. Uh, <laughs> this is what we're here for. Guys. So we live in Virginia. Mm-hmm. I think we said that on the last episode, and you know Virginia has a very active wine industry right now, um, and a very rapidly growing. We're actually at over 300 wineries now so you just got back from visiting one i did um the 53rd vineyards or 53rd winery i'm very sorry i can't remember which 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 it's it is the 53rd i actually had it pulled up and the place looks incredible yeah it's a really cool facility i really liked the staff i liked the wine so i would definitely give them a shout out and recommendation but my thing with cabernet sauvignon in virginia is we are not bordeaux we are not California. We do have, um, I think our climate is considered warm, uh, maybe on the upper end of moderate, but I'm pretty sure we're in the warm camp. Definitely. For grape growing. there. If you look at where wine can grow, it, there's certain latitudes that it can grow, and Virginia is kind of right in the center of that band. So we we can grow grapes here. Uh, but we're not the hottest climate in the world. And Cabernet Sauvignon needs a lot of heat to ripen fully. And in my experience, I, I have I have had good Cabernet Sauvignon from Virginia. I will say they're in the minority of Cabernet Sauvignon mm-hmm. from Virginia that I've tried. And the culprit is almost always the grapes are underripe for Cabernet Sauvignon because we just don't have the heat to to re, or at least at that vineyard site they didn't have the heat to really get it ripe um also we have a lot of clay soil and mm-hmm. cabernet sauvignon does not like clay soil very much which um, is probably why we have so many actually really good merlots uh and cap franc yeah cap franc really likes um clay soil as well 
when we get into Bordeaux more, we'll be talking about a lot of the differences in soil types and, mm-hmm. and how that affects things. So we have that problem in Virginia, and we have the problem of Cabernet Sauvignon not getting ripe enough because of the lack of heat, probably the lack of a good soil type in most places. And it almost always comes out underripe for me. Yeah. And Cabernet, even in Bordeaux, where it's not as hot as California, it can still get to full ripeness and you can still pick up a lot of the ex- more expressive notes in Cabernet mm-hmm. Sauvignon from well, Bordeaux. And over there, I mean, like there and even in uh, in California, the terroir that they're they're working with, and I don't want to get super into terroir right now, but they are really set up for reflecting and retaining that heat. Exactly. And um, that's what allows yeah. it in Bordeaux in particular to get to that full ripeness. And when we say that uh, terroir, um, just to give you a, a brief, quick description, there are just certain things, you know, darker colored rocks, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain certain environmental factors that allow for, for the uh, climate that the grapes are experiencing to be warmer. Yeah. You, you can really kind of think of, if you want to put it in really basic terms, terroir is just like the microclimate yeah. of a vineyard. Yeah. Very, very low level terminology and, and now they're actually mapping out how uh how fungi can can be affected and that's even that's an even smaller thing yeah. that i will want to get into at some point but we're definitely not getting into in this episode <laughs> i would love to do an episode on that though. oh my gosh it's all i want to study <laughs> but yeah so going back to virginia yeah we just don't really have the climate in my opinion for cabernet sauvignon but i think because cabernet sauvignon is a popular grape all the wineries grow it Mm-hmm. everybody produces it and everybody tries to do bordeaux blends and sometimes they're good sometimes they're not and yeah I, i'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular here please don't read what i'm saying is that at all i don't mean to you know be attacking any yeah because we have a producers. ton of of talented winemakers 100 percent. yeah um but we have to be thinking about wine mm-hmm. differently than yeah. than we are in different areas and they're going to be the ones, ultimately, these winemakers we're talking about, they're going to be the ones that find these solutions. Yeah. And we're here to support that. Yeah. At the same time, you know, when, when we're appreciating wines from around the world, we notice the difference. Yeah. And I, we know that they notice the difference, too. So, I guess going back to your experience drinking that wine, my guess would be that those grapes, they just didn't get ripe enough. Mm. And therefore... You were probably getting underripe fruit flavors that just was not being balanced out for the amount of sugar that would have been in those grapes at harvest and therefore led to a higher alcohol wine that didn't have the character to float that intensity of alcohol. Yeah. It's also possible that they they did try to fortify it slightly because they couldn't get as much sugar as they needed to into the wine. Uh, That's possible. I haven't really heard of any producers in the state doing that. I haven't heard of people in this state doing it. I have heard of people doing it across the U.S., though. Yeah. It's rare, but it does happen. And it's it's weird when it does happen. Um, my taste is not attuned to be able to tell whether, uh, whether or not that's happened. I've worked with people who could, but mm-hmm. it that is not me. Well, moving on to not Virginia, but to not Virginia. Argentina, actually. Yes. We Don't cry for me. now have our Malbec, our Trevento. I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trevento. Uh, a reserve Malbec. So reserve has legal definitions in some areas and it doesn't in others. <laughs> yeah. Most areas, uh, at least in the new world, most areas do not have really a set definition of what a reserve wine has to be. So 
I don't know what that means here. I'm assuming it means that they were probably aging this in barrel a little bit longer than maybe their like absolute base level wine would, but it could also be a marketing gimmick. Not saying it is, not saying it isn't. I I don't know. Yeah. But we saying, don't know. I'm, once once you go over international waters, there's really no way of telling and that, which regulation yeah. is being followed. And that's why I'm pointing this out is when you see reserve on certain bottles, you don't really know what, what it yeah. means. <laughs> I mean, and even even those of us who have tried to educate themselves on how things work, you know, uh, like for me, I was trying to educate myself for quite a bit of time on Spain and it just changes so frequently that I, I, you know, I can tell you generally what a, a thing is supposed to be, but it, it, it really just depends on what system that that particular winemaker is ascribing to. Yeah, Spain, uh, Spain does have some laws that govern the country, but then it's kind of like how we have, you know, federal laws yeah. in the United States, but then state laws can kind of override them in certain. Yeah, and areas. then winemakers themselves are are dying on their hills, as it were. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're talking where there might be a general sense of how a labeling term should be used uh but so this one should have been retained in barrels for longer than normal yeah that's that's kind of the theory or uh even kept back to age in bottle or mm-hmm. a, a little while for a malbec i would assume it means oak i think you're right on that but it could also mean in bottle mm. aging for certain producers as well just to let things kind of settle before the winemaker thinks it's ready to be released to the public so what would you say are some of the uh basic notes and profiles of malbec that we we typically look for when when we're looking at a malbec peppery notes i think would probably be the predominant one i would say Um, malbec tends to be uh, black fruit red wine yeah typically a little bit more on the leathery side and texture yeah and uh, malbec will uh a lot of red wines will just kind of lean toward earth and sometimes gamey meaty notes as mm-hmm. they age as well i would say malbec tends more like this one in particular actually kind of has a, a meaty yeah aroma to it and as malbec will age in my experience that meatiness kind of tends to come out Another grape would be Mouved that kind of has that same character where it'll get kind of you, you kind of there are certain wines that you smell sometimes red wines and you're like, oh, my gosh, that smells like salami or pepperoni. Mm-hmm. Uh, this wine, I wouldn't say it's quite to that level yet. Um, maybe with more age, it would be. But it, it is getting that like I, I, I kind of smell like it's reminding me of like steak. Yeah. And beef. This for me, this is like somebody smoking a deer right now. Yeah, in their backyard. Yeah, and it's I'm a little bit gamey. It. Yeah. Oh, and I, I'm so loving that. I'm also getting a little bit of that kind of like mycelial bit, just a little bit. Yeah, a little bit like a truffley. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. This has very nice. Uh, so I mentioned black fruit is a is you know what Malbec tends to show. I would say yeah, like a lot of like really ripe black fruit. Um, like very ripe blackberries, blueberries. Um, this is some a black plums. Very fragrant wine. Yeah. Um, it also, I, I would I would put some nice violet characters yeah. uh, in here. 
Violet is actually the first thing that stands out to me after the uh, the kind of gamey, savory uh, aroma that I'm getting. There's definitely oak here. I'm getting kind of the full gamut of vanilla all the way through baking spices. It, it's it's kind of a, almost a, not smoky, but it has a little bit of a charred wood kind of character to it. And that will come from a heavier toast on the barrels that were used in the winery what are you getting is the because uh, i do detect a peppery note but it's not like a black pepper i do actually still get a little bit of black pepper i kind of have to dig for it maybe that's what but it is it's I, underneath I think it's, some stuff i think it's if i'm thinking about what you're getting at correctly i think what you're picking up is that in combination with like the nutmeg and the clove and the baking spice yeah. that are here because it's not um it's not like red pepper or chili pepper it's more like a floral spice yeah it's um i would even i would even compare it to like the type of spice that you have with heavily uh heavily um things with heavy lavender in it where you kind of start to get that kind of like spice yeah maybe uh maybe some dried herbs like dry thyme Mm. not quite sage uh maybe uh i'm trying to think of not oregano either but maybe like herbs de provence or something like that Mm. Clearly, this wine is offering us a lot right now. Yeah, I could also, I would maybe put some fennel or fennel seed as as a no, because it's not it's not licorice, but it's it's that kind of pungent, somewhat sweet spice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like I said, it's like this this herbal floral spice that's that's kind of there. I, I see what you're getting at, where you have to actually dig for the black pepper, but it is mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's peppercorn. It's not, it's not like, it's not crushed yet. No. We, we've literally been smelling this for just like two minutes. Let's (laughs) actually taste this wine. I found the pepper. Yeah. So I, I said very early on in the episode about how some wines I pick up, you know, a lot of tertiary character and the fruit is kind of second on the nose and then it gets flipped on the palate. I think this is kind of a perfect example of that because, mm-hmm. man, this is like, it, and it, it's even more ripe on the palate. I think it's almost kind of jammy. Yeah, it's very um, changes the perception of the aroma after you taste it too. Mm-hmm. That blackberry in particular, because it's like that tart berry note, is really pretty. Like it, it's like a fully ripe blackberry, really ripe black plum for me. Uh, maybe even some black cherry, uh, blueberry, like I said, on the nose. But that that meatiness and that um, the leather, uh, we, I didn't say leather earlier, but there's definitely a really nice um, leathery. Yeah. And, and more um, like saddle leather, not necessarily like old leather or yeah. cracked leather, but more just like worn in kind of smooth leather. That's that's a good way of describing it, a smooth letter. I'm not getting a ton, a ton of texture on it, Mm-mm. but it's 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 there and it definitely gives a lot of character to that ripened blackberry flavor. The acidity is is pretty high, too, mm-hmm. I would say. And that acidity is is it really kind of lifts the entire flavor for me. So, yeah, this is a, a fairly high tannin wine mm-hmm. uh, and. This is a really good example of why 
unbalanced red wines that are highly tannic are so off-putting to so many people because if that acidity wasn't there making your mouth continually water oh my god the tannins would just dry your mouth out completely yeah. and it would be it would be undrinkable if that balance weren't there so but, when we talk about tannins when when you drink uh, a wine and you suddenly are like wow my mouth is dry i need to those are those are the notes that we're looking at and one way that you're saying we balance that is with that acidity allowing your your mouth to water you're actually the the tannins will cling to protein mm-hmm. uh that's what actually contributes to that kind of dry mouth feeling so when you have your mouth water that saliva is actually going to penetrate that it's going to actually mesh with that it's going to allow it to just coat your tongue so you're just getting the texture without necessarily getting the whole i need a glass of water right now and this i think this wine is really well balanced for that yeah really so i think if we were to try this next to the prophecy sauvignon blanc this would be a really good example of you know a medium body wine next to a full body because this um, yeah this both has a richer texture but it also just has more weight on Mm. the center of your palate than the last one did and it sits very nicely I, i was talking about how the more viscous feeling of the first one sauvignon blanc was a a little too much for me for me it's the opposite on this wine because it really carries that fruit well because the fruit is so concentrated and it's so ripe and expressive that mm-hmm. it just sits really nicely on your tongue and oh, yeah. over over your mouth while it's in there and even after it's almost like even after it leaves it's almost like over ripened blueberries but mm-hmm. but it's still just yeah. so delightful yeah they're a little jammy they, they it's uh they're 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 getting to that point and also um you know this is so this is a 2019 i'm wondering what the process involved in making this wine is because uh the fruit isn't dried yet which can be a sign of bottle age is when a fruit starts to smell dried mm-hmm. in character but this uh i, I guess it, it would just be you know, the the climate is probably the big determining factor and just how ripe these grapes are able to get because you don't get these kind of like uh jammy flavors from just any old moderate climate no site you you'll, you'll typically get get more fresh flavors you're gonna mm-hmm. kind of get those like this blueberry was picked yesterday it's it's a bit more acidic a bit fresher this though is just such a dense ripe flavor i i i, I would give this a thumbs up and uh, I, I forgot to say it when we were smelling, but it's on the palate. There's a very nice dark chocolate flavor. I, I, I taste it more than I smell it, actually. Um, it's very nice dark chocolate, just almost baker's chocolate, but not quite that bitter. Like maybe like a nice 70. You get it right on the back of the palate. Mm-hmm. 70% cacao dark chocolate bar from your favorite local <laughs> chocolatier yeah so i think this wine is actually a really good example of what we talked about a little bit last time where you know you don't have to really break the bank to have a really solid wine we paid around 15 dollars. i want to say this was like 15.99 yeah or something uh, and that was from a, a basically a convenience shop at this yeah, point. So yeah. I mean, that's that's actually a jack up in price. Yeah, at um, all times. But you know, again, like we are 
we just can't stop talking about how good this wine is. Thank you. I, I've bought some uh, some sea salt and almond chocolate to Ooh. pair with this lovely wine. Oh man, I just I just I don't know if we can continue doing this podcast. It's, <laughs> it's really hard and difficult to just relax and talk about wine and have these <laughs> wonderful pairings. Oh my gosh, no, this is this is like I love this. <laughs> Yeah, but it, you don't well, have to break the bank. You don't have to break the bank. You, you don't have to have, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't, especially when you can get wine like this for fifteen dollars. Well, especially when you're just starting out. There's no reason to go out and buy the most expensive wine in the world if you're literally just developing your palate. If you're doing that, start out small and work from where you're at. This is an amazing powering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really brings out those darker undertones in the wine. Mm. The uh, the principles of uh, of certain flavors are you're looking for salt, you're looking for uh, any sort of fats that are going to be in something, you're looking for the acidity, and you're looking for the heat. And in this case, we're eating the uh, the salted dark chocolate, and eating something salty with uh, with your wine is always going to be a good choice. One of the best things that you can do is actually uh, it, you were mentioning even just potato chips. Yep, it's a great way to just kind of bring out some flavors. Uh, it can really kind of highlight your own palate. You, you'll surprise yourself by what you by what you find. And I think uh, the only uh, this is a very good pairing. The only area I would knock this is tannin tends to not work with sweetness very well. Mm-hmm. And even though this is dark chocolate, it still has a little bit of that. This does when you drink wine immediately after eating it increase that perception of the tannin. It makes it a little bit more bitter and astringent Mm -hmm. but and i'm again i'm not i do enjoy this pairing i'm saying that more for if you're listening and you don't you aren't used to food pairing that is something to keep in mind Mm -hmm. because people love to talk about red wine and chocolate and i will say this the effect is not nearly as um, intense as other wines where the tannins are less ripe Mm -hmm. than this wine because the riper tannins are and the longer that they're allowed to kind of mesh together either in barrel or in the bottle with the other tannins in the mm-hmm. wine they tend to mellow out a yeah. little bit and not be as biting and astringent from the molecular perspective they actually start to coil and wrap around yep uh what what is the molecules that they're wrapping around is it oxygen molecule molecules uh that I, i'm i wouldn't know in my current understanding i know there are amino acid chains that mm-hmm. tend to bind together but i'm not sure exactly what the catalyst is there with that effect it, t- it tends to soften those tannins and make them less yeah astringent make them uh, more approachable and, and really kind of highlights what can even be what people call silky i've had a uh, big boisterous reds before that you could tell high tannin content but they were so silky they were so smooth that you couldn't help but just continue drinking it. Yeah. And I think this wine, I mean, they're not the smoothest tannins I've ever had, but they are very smooth. They are very, you know, they're high and, and you can feel them, but they're not off-putting. They're not jarring. They're not bitter. They're not overly astringent by any means. And they don't even distract from the other flavors. That It, it no. really does just complement it. And again, you know, they do get more obvious with the chocolate but it's not super intense um, like certain other wines would be with less ripe tannins Uh, so everything is pointing to me that this was just picked at a really ripe time in the grapes 
growth cycle Hmm. and was under the direction of a really good winemaker who knew what they were doing. Yeah. They had a, they either had a vision or they had the ability to recognize an opportunity either way. They did an amazing job being able to take what was grown there. I will say my only knock against this wine really is the finish is shorter than I wish it was. Mm. When Uh, Gabe comes knocking. (laughs) But at the price point, I can't really say that I would expect it to be like a super long finish. That tends to be a bit more of a quality indicator, I guess. But it's a... (laughs) Michael might be crunching in your ear in a second or two. I might have to edit that out. I promise I won't do that. (laughs) But the... But you forgot to ask me if I was a liar. (laughs) The... Oh, shoot. I completely lost my train of thought. Lost it in that crunch. I lost it in the crunch. Michael, you just... There are people on that train. You're the worst co-host I could have asked for. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. But you were talking about... Now I've lost my train of thought. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. We we plan out really far in advance and know everything that we're doing. Yes, of course. Oh, you were talking about linger. Right. The the lingering... The the fruit kind of goes away pretty quick. And... I, I do get a little bit more of the astringency hanging on than I do the fruit characteristics. Mm-hmm. Some of the meatiness tends to persist a little bit more in this wine, um, but it, it's not the longest finish in the world. And I would say this is also pretty solidly in the medium camp. What would you pair this with? Steak. Steak. Steak, burgers, uh, pretty much I think any any red meat dish that had the salt content to not kind of throw off the tannin so we talked about sugar tends to make tannin a little bit more obvious on the palate Mm -hmm. umami has a tendency to do that as well sweet food and umami food that's heavy in umami is kind of the two biggest uh complications in wine pairing when it comes to food because those are the things that tend to throw off structural elements in a wine the most so just make sure you're giving enough salt, yeah. I think, to really uh, balance it out because salt helps most wine. Yeah. And that's why. And if you're not salting your steaks, you should be. Exactly. Well, I remember I asked my teacher one time in class because we were talking about Cabernet Sauvignon and we had just recently in another class talked about food pairings and how umami tends to not be good for highly tannic wines like Cabernet Sauvignon. I was like, so why does every restaurant recommend pairing Cabernet Sauvignon with your steak. And she said, well, it's because they put a lot of salt on the steak. Yeah. I just, you know, and experiment with your food pairings as well, as with all things with wine, um, always experiment, always be open to new things. You'll find out what works and what doesn't. Obviously there are guidelines, but you don't have to be worried that you're screwing up. You don't have to be worried that, Oh no, am I tasting the right things? It's like, Mm -hmm. no, it's what you're tasting. Yeah. So, you know, experiment with it pay attention to it and don't be afraid to notice what you like and what you don't like and if you're just starting you don't even necessarily have to have the language as to why does this mushroom not taste good with this yeah red wine just know that it doesn't taste good yeah and And then answer the why as you're going along exactly you know as you educate yourself as you explore more 
you'll figure out more of why things work and why they don't. And hopefully you'll be talking to other people who might have those answers in your life and they can help you along as well. Um, and that's what I like to do with people when I try wine with them is tell them why the wine tastes the way it does. <laughs> and maybe your interest will take you into the direction more of wine pairings, or maybe it'll take you more into the direction of uh, how wine is made. I know for, for Gabe, you love figuring out what it is that the winemakers are doing in order to really bring out the characteristics that you love in wine. Yeah. I love seeing how climate impacts it. I yeah. love seeing how terroir is there. I want to see, you know, how is the graphite there doing things? What what does it mean when you have volcanic rock that's absorbing heat? Those yeah. are the things that I really enjoy. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be gained from exploring those things in your personal wine journey as well, even mm -hmm. if you don't go in depth as we do about it, even if you're not taking classes like I have, you know, or you're not getting trained like Michael has, you know, wine is endless learning if you really want it to be. But at the end of the day, it's experiential. Yeah. And so if you can kind of combine the two, I, I think that's the perfect spot yeah. to be in. You frankly. enrich your world based on your interest and that's all you can do. So I, I want to start closing out with some general guidelines mm -hmm. with tasting. So what do you got for us? When we have certain characteristics in a wine, they can indicate everything from the climate of a region to mm -hmm. what grape you're tasting. Say if you're blind tasting a wine, most people probably are not blind tasting wines, but should you ever be, um, or if, you know, maybe you're tasting a blend and you want to play a game and try and figure out what might be in the blend. I know. As nerdy as that is, that is something that I actually do if I'm handed a wine that I don't know <laughs> the co composition of. Is that a challenge? Uh, well, you know, I was pretty good at blind tasting in class, so. <laughs> okay, well then, uh, I guess that's what we're going to be doing at some point. Yeah, um, and I'm probably totally in, the, in the next, uh, in the next, so, so in the next couple of episodes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually buy a random blend. I'm not gonna tell you what it is or where it is, and I'm not gonna show you the label. And we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see what you got. Let's hope I don't completely embarrass myself. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if, if if you don't, then we'll just forget that it ever happened. <laughs> so the, I'll edit it out. How about that? Yeah. The, we <laughs> we'll re-record. <laughs> <laughs> so some some good just kind of general tasting things that you can use to help you on a very basic level starting out is. Focusing on red wine first, most red wines fall into either red fruit or black fruit. Mm -hmm. Now, what do people mean by that? It, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. It's just red fruit is raspberries, red cherries, uh, cranberries. Strawberries. Strawberries. Black fruit is blackberries, blueberries, uh, black plums. Yeah. Um, some people, I, I have seen um, blue fruit as well, but I Those think... Those are a bit more odd, and typically you'll find them being being inside of things that you would also describe as having black fruit. Yeah, and so for me, black fruit just covers the whole gamut. And if you want to learn kind of how to taste between the two, just during summer, when the fruits are seasonal, go to your grocery store and just buy blueberries and raspberries one week and just smell them and taste them and kind of get that scent memory embedded in your head so you can 
you know, say it when it comes up in a line. And it's it, healthy for you too. I mean, you exactly. know, you do these things, you pay attention to it, endorphins released, it's a mood boost. Uh, we have for white wine, <laughs> you can almost always be right saying lemon is yeah. <laughs> okay. is a is a scent in a white wine a lot of white wines just tend to have a yeah, very I'm picking citrus. up a lot of lemon yeah, yeah tend to just have citrus um I'll, especially if it's unoaked you're gonna get tons of that um some of it can be converted if they do like malolactic fermentation or mm-hmm. something like that yeah. which we'll go into at a later time yeah um where you get more uh more creamy notes than you do lemony but even then yeah you're still probably going to pick up a fair amount of citrus on a white wine it's going to be like a lemon meringue the white wine spectrum kind of tends to go from green fruit and by green fruit i mean like green apples green pears kind of those more um maybe like underripe orchard fruit yeah characters i've even gotten unripened banana before which was Hmm interesting yeah it was in one of those uh it was, it was a, an obscure italian white oh, okay yeah yeah <laughs> there's a lot of those yeah the, <laughs> the so true. that that's kind of the cooler end of the spectrum so if you're smelling those notes primarily that's probably coming from a cooler climate as you warm up for white wines you'll tend to start getting more into stone fruit so like nectarines peaches uh apricots and then in warmer to hotter climates, you'll start getting tropical fruits. So pineapple, melons, passion fruit, kind of like what we were describing the Sauvignon Blanc, even though New Zealand is not necessarily a hot climate, they just have some, they do have some climactic conditions that allow their Sauvignon Blanc to get very ripe to start producing those flavors. And it's just kind of something that the grape tends to express anyway. Well, and even their harvesting practices, you know, end up affecting the flavor. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, There's that for white wine. Ripe fruit tends to kind of the, or the ripeness of the fruit that you're tasting tends to indicate a lot of when it was harvested. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, if you pick an underripe apple, it's going to have a similar effect of if you pick an underripe grape. If you pick an underripe grape, it's just going to have less ripe yeah. aromas and flavors. And those things inside of it, they're called, they're actually called esters, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, and they're, they're those things that kind of simulate other fruits. Uh, and that's what you end up yeah, getting in these things. Compounds. Yeah, Yeah. And they'll mature with the fruit and express more of that ripe character as the fruit itself ripens. Um, so that can also actually be an indicator of the climate it came from. If it's from a cooler area, the fruit character probably won't be as ripe as, say, California, where fruit can just get very ripe very quickly during harvest season. Oak influence is something that I think a lot of people can pick up on, but maybe don't have the language for. If you start smelling cedar or like charred or toasted wood, that's a very strong indicator that oak was a influence on Mm -hmm. the wine, that it was aged in oak or fermented in oak or both. The spice character that we were talking about in this Malbec, um, a lot of it comes from oak as well. So people will say baking spices. So like nutmeg, clove, cinnamon, those spices. Tend- and, if I, and if I had to make a guess, I would definitely say more like French, uh, French oak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, French oak tends to give that more um, baking spice character. American oak, which is very quickly falling out of favor with a lot of winemakers, even mm-hmm. in Spain, which was 
using a lot of American oak, uh, still does, but recently a lot of winemakers are choosing to go to French. Uh, American oak will give kind of like uh, coconutty flavors Mm -hmm. almost, and dill is another one that I see people reference a lot in reference to American oak. Uh, So, which has its place, but apparently it's falling out of favor. So, yeah. Dill is such an overpowering flavor in general that you have to have a wine that can stand up to it. Uh, and if you don't, probably shouldn't be using that kind of oak if you know you're going to get that. So uh, that spice character can come from oak. Uh, I will give a caveat that certain grapes, like uh, Gamay from uh, Beaujolais mm. in particular, mm-hmm. uh, and Pinot Noir sometimes can do this. And sometimes you will get spice character on a grape that has not been oaked or a wine that has not been oaked that can come from the grape. And the way to tell the difference is, am I smelling those woody characters that I was talking about? If you don't smell those and you don't smell particularly vanilla, you're probably dealing with a wine where that's just kind of how the grape grew yeah, in that area or that vineyard. At least you'll get that a lot with, uh, even like, uh, Willamette Valley, Oregon. It's been compared to, Oh gosh burgundy mm-hmm. um it actually has the nearly identical uh continental factors in it and you will get some of those spices right on out of it even if it isn't aged particularly long in oak or if at all yeah because sometimes the wines won't be aged at all in oak yeah. and they'll still manifest those characteristics yeah and it you you can normally tell like also um aside from the woody stuff is that they're sweeter probably in the spice character or it smells more like the fruit itself is spiced maybe like a you know how cider will kind of have that fruit and spice mingled together mm-hmm. characteristic. That's kind of how I perceive it. Again, everybody perceives wine differently. Um, so that's, I, I guess, kind of my little spiel on just some very basic tasting tips Yeah, in that regard. Yeah. And as uh, so as we go along, we're going to be talking more about uh, just some basic wine types. I know as we're kind of wrapping up this episode, we would uh, we would love to hear feedback on on these sorts of things you know what really kind of is interesting whoever it is that ends up coming across this uh but we wanted to go into some uh wine uh, wine making basics Mm -hmm. um you know how is wine made what what could be affecting it at different uh stages um we won't go super into detail but we would love to be able to discuss uh more about how climate impacts it and just the major grape types uh you know which what can you expect from from each grape um what kind of seems to be the trend among them how are they being used yeah wine is very heavily driven by trends yes yes it is because flavor is also about fashion in in a couple of senses um which is which is a good reason to develop your own palate mm-hmm. you know there's something to be said about tasting what's popular there's something else to be said about something uh tasting and just enjoying something that you delight in yep uh and that's that's really what we we started this out with. We wanted to be able to discuss wine. Um, we want people to be able to discuss wine with each other. Um, we don't think that you should be bound by fashion. We think that you should be enabled by it. Yeah, and, and I think there is definitely a really solid case to be made for educating yourself and understanding why a trend might be happening mm-hmm. and being able to figure out if it's if it's a trend you like absolutely hop on it or yeah. you know if it's a trend you don't like know where else you can look to find what maybe doesn't match that yeah well know what to buy for a party and also know what to introduce people to because you know better now exactly so 
we're excited to be able to talk about this with you. Uh, we're, we're excited to be able to hear feedback, like we said. So we're excited. So next episode, uh, winemaking basics. Uh, we might be, be touching on some climate uh, and style, and I am definitely going to be getting a wine to surprise Gabe with, and we're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna see how much he has enjoyed identifying wines. <laughs> Let's hope I do well. Yeah, and if he doesn't, I might have a little punishment lined up for him. Oh no! Yeah, so that'll be great. And now he's obligated. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for listening. We we appreciate uh, anybody who's uh, who's willing to hear us talk, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing back from you guys. So thank you so much. I've been Michael, and this is Gabe, and this is Laid Back Lush. Take care, everyone.